Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It is Tuesday, October 25th, live from my apartment in his attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. I am DJ Nate, filling in for the one and only Dr. D. Today on the show, we have Chicago Reader staff writer Kelly Garcia. And now, your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling experts wrong Tuesday, and here's why. Because I am happy to report the experts were wrong. Yes! Sometimes I'm happy when the experts are wrong. In this case, the experts were the sports writers from Chicago. Every single one of them was wrong. My beloved Chicago Bears. They're my beloved Bears when they win. When they don't win, ugh, I can't stand them. Don't give them a nickel for any, any stadium. By the way, I'm pretty much saying don't give them a nickel for any stadium, even when they are my beloved Bears when they win. I'm sorry, Bears. Winning a football game does not warrant getting millions and millions of dollars from the public for a football stadium that you should pay for yourself. It's not the same thing. Like last night at bowling, my team won. Okay, we didn't win. But let's say we did win. Does that mean because I won in bowling that I should get my bowling subsidized by the taxpayers of Chicago? I don't think so. I wouldn't even ask for that. You, the Bears, win one football game, and you're like, give us more. We want more. And Chicagoans are like, it's so meaningful to me that they won. I want you to have more. All right, I went on a tangent there. I wasn't even going to say all that. My point is this. Every expert in the city of Chicago sports sections pre predicted the Bears would lose uh, last night in their Monday night game against New England. And guess what? The Bears won. They not only won, they got crushed uh, the New England Patriots. And so I'm like, like, what's the deeper meaning about this? This is what I'm struggling with. I actually wrote about this for my newsletter at The Reader. Like, what does it mean when the experts are all wrong? I mean, folks, let me, I cannot exaggerate this. There's football games once a week. Here's how football works, because most of you I know are not sports fans. So they play a game on Sunday, sometimes Monday, all right? Sometimes Thursday. Oh, it gets confusing. Whatever. They play a game on Sunday, let's say. Then a full week goes by until they play their next game. Sports writers in Chicago spend a full week thinking about the game from Sunday, watching footage of the game from Sunday, talking to their friends about the game from Sunday, walking in the park at night and thinking about the games at Sunday. They spend a lot of time wondering about the next game. And then after doing all that wondering and thinking and talking and examining, they make a prediction. And this prediction is based on all the knowledge they bring to this field before the game. And somehow, having spent a week looking at the evidence, or actually 10 days because the last Bear game was on Thursday, having spent a lifetime following football, 
They made predictions, in which case each and every one of them was wrong. <laughs> Man, I got to tell you, I'm very happy that I don't have to make predictions every week about how the city council would vote. I actually think I could probably do a better job predicting voting records in the Chicago City Council than the sports writers of Chicago did with the Bears. Just saying, sports writers of Chicago. For instance, I kind of know, like, how, oh, I don't know, um, Tom Tunney in a 44th Ward will vote on any given matter. I kind of got it figured out. Or Matt Martin. We'll be talking about Matt Martin in a little while. From the 47th. I got a feeling, to quote the Beatles, like how they're going to vote. I don't think I would blow it as bad as the sports writers of Chicago. <laughs> you know I love you sports writers, but that's pretty bad. Every single one of you predicted the Patriots uh, would win, and the Patriots got throttled. Now I'm going to make a political connection here, ladies and gentlemen. We have an upcoming midterm. The fate of the country is in play. I mean... You put MAGA in charge of Congress. You put MAGA in charge of the Senate. And the impeachment of Joe Biden begins. The investigation of Donald Trump ends. Any kind of program that is vaguely, vaguely progressive in nature is torpedoed. There will be movements to outlaw abortion. There will be movements to outlaw, I don't know, the teaching of history in our public schools. We all know what's coming. Just MAGA doesn't hide what they intend to do. Look at Ron DeSantis in Florida. Look at Gregory Abbott in Texas. They don't conceal it. They put it out there for everybody to know. Then if there's a little pushback, they'll like, they'll be evasive. You know, what I, you know how they do it? Like old boy is doing down here in Illinois, Darren Bailey. Like he spent his whole life being anti-abortion and now when he may be held accountable for his really weird, twisted, attitudes about abortion he kind of backs off and goes well it's not an issue what do you mean it's not an issue of course it's an issue you get to say like which laws are introduced and you have a huge hand and how the state's going to respond uh when abortion cases come before the courts or if gregory abbott uh starts pursuing women who come to illinois to get an abortion of course it's an issue they're evasive but once in office they let you know they 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 go back to it so MAGA's pretty much let everybody know what's at stake. And all the experts in the country right now are saying MAGA's going to win. They're going to say MAGA's going to take control of the Congress. MAGA's going to take control of the Senate. I read them, man. I read them in the New York Times, the Washington Post. And I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that the political experts who write for the New York Times and the Washington Post and are almost like gleefully chortling as they predict MAGA victory. I hope they're as clueless about politics as the sports writers of Chicago are clueless about football. All right, when we return, Maya Dukmasova will join us talking first Tuesdays and the hideout. Be right back. partner in crime, Maya Tukmasova, joins us, and uh, uh, I mean that in every sense of the word. We are sticking together through thick and thin, ups and downs, twists and turns. Uh, she was on the front lines with us, even before she was a reader, staff writer. Uh, so Maya is uh, a really cool person, and uh, so Maya, changes in our life. Uh, why don't you talk about them uh, right now, and um, 
explain what's going on with the Maya Ben show at the hideout uh, and the transformation we are making. Go ahead. Yeah. So in light of um, the story that um, a former hideout employee uh, shared on social media last week, um, we uh, kind of had a quite a quite a shock reading about his experiences and we just want to acknowledge and validate that what he talks about going through was not okay and uh Michaela if you're listening to the show we're um we're very sorry that you had to go through that and um we decided to uh, move our show out of the hideout uh for this November 1st election special and we don't know exactly what's gonna happen with the show after that but for now uh, for next week we have found an alternative venue and we are still gonna have our election special uh, that'll be co-hosted by Injustice Watch and we'll focus our conversation about the elections specifically on the judicial elections both the Cook County judges um, judges races uh, the retention election and the hotly contested Supreme Court races, which unfortunately, if you live in Cook County, if you vote in Cook County, you don't get to vote on those uh, Supreme Court uh, races. But uh, we'll have Ed Mullen, experienced, seasoned uh, election attorney, uh, friend of the show, and Michaela Blaze, who is the former executive director of the Judicial Accountability PAC. Um, we'll have them joining us as guests to discuss those Supreme Court races and what's at stake and to discuss the retention judicial election in Cook County and how you can prepare to, to be a more informed voter and what's at stake there. So here's the info on the alternative venue. Everyone pay attention. So we're going to be doing this on November 1st at 6.30 p.m. at Nighthawk which is a wonderful lounge and performance space in uh, Albany Park, 4744 North Kimball. And if you go to the first Tuesdays with Maya and Ben Facebook page, it's just facebook.com slash first Tuesdays Chicago, all one word. Uh, you'll see the link to the, um, the event page that we have up. It, the event is going to be free. Uh, so just go on there and register with the Inventbrite link, and uh, if you register, uh, we'll hook you up with free drink and a hot dog or a veggie dog if you prefer. Injustice Watch has been really generous in um, co-hosting this event with us, and yeah, they've agreed to cover uh, the first round and some hot dogs from the uh, wonderful place uh, next door to Nighthawk, which is literally in the same building. So we've got our drinks on deck, our hot dogs on deck, our guests on deck. Um, I'm astonished that we were so quickly able to find an alternative game plan uh, just a week away from the show. So I really hope that people won't be too confused by the change of venue. But if you just go on Facebook on our first Tuesdays with Maya and Ben page, you'll see all the details. And I really can't wait for this conversation. Yeah. It's an important conversation. I just want to add uh, a couple thoughts about the hideout. Uh, I've been doing the first Tuesday show. I started off with McDunkey since 2014 at the hideout, and it's strictly a freelance gig. It's something we set up. And I'm not an employee of the hideout. Essentially, we uh, uh, leased out the space, if you will, uh, once a month. I couldn't put up with bringing people to the hideout with the current situation going on. 
uh, the, the allegations and accusations Mikkel made in uh, his Instagram post, I found very disturbing and upsetting. And there was no response of merit uh, from the hideout. So I'm like, you know what? I got to take a break. I can't break. Oh, just come to the hideout. Like nothing happened. Like nothing's going on in the world. We're not, we're going to pretend that, you know, that's like, that's like some city of Chicago stuff. I'm just going to pretend like what's happening in the world isn't happening in the world. And uh, Maya knows she listened to me struggle with this. Uh, and, uh, and, we both we came to the same conclusion. We just had a, a just couldn't tolerate it and just move on. And so I have to say I do not know uh, if, if this is going to be a regular gig at this one venue. We'll see. But I urge everybody who loves First Tuesday and loves the issues that we talk about and wants to hear Maya and me do our thing, and we're pretty good, I must say, uh, to come to uh, uh, to Nighthawk and just. Stick with us as we figure out where we're heading down this path. Because I know, don't know where we're going to go with First Tuesdays. I don't know where it'll be eventually. I hope it is somewhere. Uh, but this is where it'll be on November 1st. Correct, Maya? Isn't that, don't I have at least that part right? That's right. Uh, November 1st, uh, Albany Park, Nighthawk. I'm excited about seeing this new venue. Uh, the address again is 4744 North Kimball. The show will start at 6.30, we'll go to 8 o'clock, our traditional time, and um, it'll be free this time around, and you'll get a free drink and hot dogs, so just, and and you can pick up one of the Justice Watch judicial election guides while you're there, if you prefer to use a print copy of that in the voting booth. So we just really hope you come out and you bear with us as we figure out this transition, and um yeah, I mean, I guess we would have had to kind of have some conversations with folks about what we're going to do in the next few months anyway coming up because uh, I'm about to go on maternity leave at the end of December. So uh, this, uh, who knows, with, with, uh, at this, uh, with this stage being so close to having this baby, you know, who knows if we would have had a December show anyway, but uh, let's uh, let's just take it one month at a time and we're... Very excited to see folks at the Nighthawk um, Lounge on November 1st at 6.30. Um, please come on out, and uh, we're excited for the discussion with our guests. Absolutely. And the Supreme Court race, I cannot accentuate that enough. I mean, in Justice Watch, I, I love the ongoing education effort to get Cook County voters to realize the significance of the judges the, and to realize the power they have in their hands to shape criminal justice uh, in Cook County. We don't always realize we have that power, Maya. Uh, we don't really realize that we get elect judges and judges make real decisions that affect thousands and thousands of people's lives. Uh, and I think that we're doing a public service. I know Injustice Watch is doing a public service when we bring attention to the, uh, these elections, the judicial elections. On top of that, these two Supreme Court seats, ladies and gentlemen, the entire future of freaking every issue in the state of Illinois is in the balance. Every issue, labor, environmental, abortion rights, criminal justice, legal rights, everything will come before the Supreme Court ultimately. And if uh, it could be a MAGA Supreme Court or it could be a Democratic Supreme Court, that's effectively what's at stake. Go ahead, Maya. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, if you if you uh, are interested in understanding more what's at stake locally, first of all, I completely agree with you when it comes to the Supreme Court, and I can't wait to discuss that in more detail. Um, I was especially kind of, I, I really, I have to say, I, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I wasn't paying close attention to these Supreme Court races until we had our first Tuesday show about abortion rights in Illinois, and then it suddenly hit me how much of a difference you know, it could make uh, the results of this of these two Supreme Court races. But in terms of the impact of the judges at your local level, the, the Cook County judges that Cook County voters are going to have to vote on, deciding yes or no whether to keep them on the bench for another six or ten years. Uh, we just published, if you go to injusticewatch.org, you'll see my latest story that literally could not be hotter off the presses. Um, about one of the uh, judges up for retention who's been in the criminal uh, courthouse at 26 in California for many, many years, and everything I found about his background and his record of appellate court reversals, and um, it'll give you a sense of, you know, uh, what, what's at stake when, when we vote for these judges. So just want to plug that as well. All right, very good. So November 1st, 6.30, Nighthawk. Uh, I'll post it on my Facebook page. We're going to be talking about it on the show uh, repeatedly throughout this week. First Tuesday Lives. First Tuesday Lives and all the information about the November 1st show, if you go to our First Tuesdays Facebook page, facebook.com slash First Tuesdays Chicago, just go right on there and you'll see the event link. Um, and if you register uh, when you show up, you'll we'll make sure that you get your drink and hot dog. Free drinks and hot What a deal. Free drinks and hot dog and education. Can't beat that. Uh, Maya, I know you got to go. You got a, a Zoom meeting or something. Uh, so thank you very much. And uh, we're partners. Uh, and you're a great partner to have on First Tuesday. So I, I just have to say that publicly. And um, on with the show, right, Maya? Yep. All right, very good. Maya Dukmasa, we're going to take a break when we return. I'll see you on Tuesday. See you on Tuesday. Kelly Garcia will be joining us uh, from the Chicago Reader, so stick around. Without further ado, I'm bringing on Kelly Garcia, the great reporter for my beloved Chicago Reader. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thanks for having me, Ben. All right, Kelly Garcia. Yes, she's on a roll, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not talking cinnamon roll, Tom Tunney. I'm talking she's been cranking out one great story after another uh, for the reader. She's been killing it. Uh, Matt, I got three things on my mind, uh, Kelly. I'm going to put them out there like a bulletin board that we're going to hit each one of them. Boom. Matt Martin in ethics. Uh, Merrill appointees of city council chairs. Boom. Paul Vallis, one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in politics going to Naperville uh, this summer uh, to dress awake. You wrote about that. You broke that story. Excellent job. And then your ongoing coverage about uh, Riot Fest in Douglas Park. That's Douglas with two S's, as in Frederick people. Not Stephen Douglas, Frederick Douglas. Uh, and um, so we're going to take them one at a time. Let's start with the Matt Martin story. This is a fascinating story. We've talked about it a bit on the show. Uh, you take a deep dive in the latest reader on this one. Matt Martin, alderman of the 47th Ward, was, uh, well, what do you tell the story? He thinks he should be the, the, the chair of the ethics committee in the city council. Let's pause to laugh, Kelly, that there's an ethics committee uh, in Chicago. 
one of the most unethical cities I've ever met in my life. You should have an unethical committee in the Chicago City Council. Uh, so take it away, Kelly. Tell us uh, basically what's uh, going on, why there's a vacancy, and uh, what the issue is. Take it away. Yeah, so Matt Martin, 47th Ward, so that's Lincoln Square, Ravenswood area. He is shaking things up in the council. So he currently serves as the vice chair of the Ethics Committee, which, as Ben explained, um, you know, oversees a lot of the conflict of interests in city council, which, as we know, there's a lot of. Uh, and because Michelle Smith, who was uh, previously the older woman for the 43rd Ward in Lincoln Park, she retired and she was also the chairperson of the Ethics Committee, Matt Martin is now seeking that post for himself. So he, last month, introduced a resolution to the City Council proposing that he become the next chairperson of the Ethics Committee. Um, and this is groundbreaking. You would think it's not groundbreaking because it's their job, right? It's their duty to appoint their own colleagues to the various committees of a council. Um, but it's actually a, a long-standing tradition in the City Council of Chicago, specifically, where the mayor actually appoints all the chairs of the committees. Um, so it's a bold move, um, particularly because Martin is a young, um, you know, fresh, uh, black progressive alderman on the north side. Um, he's a part of a, a larger shift in the council that's seeking independence from the mayor. And now he's asking for the council to make him chairperson of the ethics committee. Um, <clears throat> now, whether or not that'll happen, that's you know up in the air. The the resolution is now in the rules committee. They're the ones who are going to vote on whether or not to make Matt Martin the chair of the ethics committee before it goes to a full vote in the council. But who's the chair of the other rules committee? Michelle Harris, an ally of the mayor's. <laughs> um, you know, it's up to her whether or not, you know, she's going to call this resolution up to a vote. Martin told me that he's having conversations, you know, he's, he's doing his job to try and get people on his side. But um, like I said, this is a, a long tradition in the city council of the mayor choosing the leaders of the floor and of the committees. So whether or not that'll pass, it's, it's something to, to keep watch of. All right, let's let me uh, make a confession here, admission here. You've said now twice it's a long uh, tradition in the city council, which means I'm so old. I remember the last time it wasn't it wasn't a tradition. And you actually, I give you credit, shout out Kelly Garcia uh, for uh, putting in at the lead of her story a little history lesson. Uh, that's the last time the mayor didn't appoint committee chairs. Uh, and it, so that took place in 1983. I don't even think Kelly Garcia was born was in 1984. That was not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> old man River here. Let me tell you something, Kelly. Uh, I was born. Uh, anyway. Okay, yes. I was very much watching uh, what was going down in 1983. And, Kelly, I've always argued that council wars which was that moment that you uh, very accurately describe in your story, in the reader, uh, when the aldermen led by Verdoliak and Burke uh, rounded up and vote, uh, to a block to oppose Harold Washington was a great moment in Chicago democracy that was, how do I put this, given a bad rap because it was rooted in racism. So the concept of a legislative branch 
determining on its own, independent of the mayor, who will run the committees of that legislative branch, I think is essential to democracy as we know it. We have a division in government. You have a mayor or a president, and you have a legislative branch, Congress or the city council. Now, everything that Burke, Verdoliak, Bunch did, they gave a bad name to because they were just such a bunch of freaking racists and the way they went about it, hating on Harold Washington because he was a black man, Kelly. You know that as well as I do. That they gave a bad name to democracy only in Chicago. Kelly, it's like only in Chicago could our alderman give a bad name to democracy and leave people going, I can't, I wish we had an autocracy where the mayor named the mayor. <laughs> only these dimwits in the Chicago City Council. Uh, but I do believe, despite the bad name that Verdoliak and Burke gave to it, despite the fact that their motives were all wrong, in my humble opinion, because it was all hate based on racial hate, I, I think the central principle, this is me personally speaking, Kelly, is sound. I believe the city council should name its own committee chairs. Uh, and um, that's very important to have the kind of division that would be health, ultimately healthy for the city. Your thoughts? I agree entirely. I mean, we elect uh, aldermen across the city to represent the interests of the people, correct? Um, so it doesn't make much sense for legislation in the council to be determined by the mayor's interests. That's essentially what's going on here, right? Like when the mayor, when we allow the mayor to choose the committee chairs, when we allow the mayor to decide who's going to call what gets put on the agenda, we're allowing the mayor to have the final say, the full say on what's going to get passed through the council. And so I 100% I agree. I think that the aldermen should exercise their right, their power that they have in their own rules to assign the committee chairs. And they haven't been exercising that. And you're completely right in that what happened in 1983 was, uh, was racially motivated. Um, they, the only time that the council chose to exercise their power to assign committee chairs was when we elected the first black mayor of Chicago. The Eddies were threatened. The white council, the majority white council, was threatened. That is that is exactly what happened, point blank. Yeah. By the way, have you seen Punch Nine yet? You allude to it in the uh, uh, in your lead in today's Punch Nine. Joe Winston was on the show uh, last week, a couple weeks ago. The director of Punch Nine, the Harold Washington documentary. Did you actually see that, Kelly? Yes, I've see seen it, it twice now. It's great. It's a great documentary. Whoa. Yeah. That's either a cry for help or uh, my kind of reporter. You seen it twice? Yeah, I love that history. The nineteen eighty three, but like in general, that nineteen eighties in Chicago was fascinating. I I absolutely love that documentary. I wish it was streaming. So. I, I know I, I'm I'm with you actually. I'm teasing because I probably would have watched it twice. I and I will get around to watching it twice. I have some issues, as I said to Joe Winston when he was on the show, the director, uh, about how he ended it and the way he dealt with Eugene Sawyer, but. That's secondary to just nothing but love for Punch Nine and sending out the message folks run, don't want to see it. But uh, when you watched that, the opening scenes, uh, which you allude to uh, in your article, uh, where the Eddies for Doliak and Burke, the same Burke, young people, who is the alderman of the 14th Ward, the same Burke who's indicted, okay, that Burke, the same Burke whose wife is on the Supreme Court, that Burke, uh, the same Burke who handled Donald Trump's tax cases to lower his taxes, that Burke. Um, when you watch 
the uh, uh, opening of the movie and you see them gleefully celebrating uh, their triumph, uh, what kind of went through your uh, brain? You know, you weren't there literally, obviously, you weren't born yet, but I know it must have had, because you're a progressive minded person. I, what, what did that trigger in your head as a response when you saw that? You're talking about when they were celebrating his election? When they were celebrating, uh, well, there were they, there were two celebrations. One when they were celebrating the Sawyer's election at the end, but I'm talking about when they were celebrating and chortling over how they outfoxed him and got 29 aldermen to line up to support their own committee chairs as opposed to Harold's committee chairs, and then started uh, opposing absolutely everything he uh, re- proposed just to try to sabotage uh, the government. What kind of went through your head when you saw that? Yeah, the image that stuck with me when I was watching that that film was Dick Mel after they they uh, essentially chose Eugene Sawyer to, to follow Washington, and it, it was it was an odd, it, you know, it was odd for me because it wasn't that long let go that like Washington had passed, and they were already celebrating the next mayor, a mayor that they knew that they could control, right? A mayor that they knew wouldn't fight them off, wouldn't you know have and and bring along challengers. Um, it was, like you said earlier, I mean, I think a lot of it was, it was clearly racist in my opinion too, because they knew that they could manipulate Sawyer. Um, so I was, I was a little alarmed by, by how much Dick Mel specifically was celebrating in that scene and how happy and joyous he, he seemed when, um, you know, I think the whole city was still mourning. That was really strange for me to, to see. Um, and I don't know, I, I, yeah, I, I was particularly disturbed by that, but I, I think what really stuck with me were, was how the city was mourning, was, was hearing and then seeing how people were literally sobbing in their cars when Washington passed away. Um, I just had an interview yesterday with someone who was alive when, uh, when, when Harold was first elected and also when, when uh, he died, and they, they also told me, you know, they weren't, like, super politically involved, but they remember crying as well. Like, they remember that feeling of, of hearing this, this person that um, had so much potential and really changed the trajectory of, of Chicago politics died. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It was definitely a, a, a large contrast um, from, like, the, the scenes of people mourning Washington and then the scene to Dick Mel celebrating and jumping in the air, shouting and, and, you know, cheering in the council because they'd, they'd gotten someone that they knew that they could control in the council over, you know, Tim Evans. So it was interesting to me. I push back on that one point. Uh, I, I don't think uh, Gene Sawyer, I always defend Eugene Sawyer. I knew the guy. Uh, I don't think Eugene Sawyer was any easier to control than uh, Tim Evans. I think it was a personal... By then, it had become a very personal dispute. Uh, and Kelly, like, how, it, it's all tied together. So follow me where I'm going, Kelly. So Harold Washington beat them in 1983. And it scared the hell out of their constituents. But that really p- pissed them off. You know, to lose to a black guy like that, it just, like, really got to them, you know? And so it became this macho thing. Well, we're going to show you. And they, the Eddies took control of the city council, and they were like, ha, 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 ha. There was that scene in the movie, remember, when Verdoliak walks up to the podium and sits down. I'm the man. Because Harold left. Remember, Harold left. He gaveled the meeting to an end, but the meeting wasn't over. It was a, a tactical uh, miscue on Harold's part. And Verdoliak took over. I'm the man. So then Harold... Harold dies in office, 
And a lot of his allies were part of the uh, coalition behind Evans. And so Mel and that gang just viewed this as an extension of the fight from 83. So it was, it was almost, it was less a, it was more like a continuation of this very personal tribal classic Chicago, you know, you're in this side, we're on the other side. This is so Chicago, Kelly. You know, I don't I I just don't remember if you actually grew up in Chicago, but it's just it's so Chicago and in my humble opinion. And so that to me, that's what the fight was more of almost like a personal fight in a high school kids. Like you're in this club, we're in that club. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you don't really see that elsewhere. That scene that where Edward Doliak, uh he, he, when he takes over the podium and he's He's kind of like angry and shouting. He's shouting at one point too at Washington. I mean, they were having shouting matches on the floor. I think the only time I've seen that recently is 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 Byron Cicho Lopez and and Lightfoot going at it. Um, but I mean, yeah, just just those scenes of 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 the Eddies, particularly Vidoliak, um, shouting like they were in a fight in a high school fight in the in the hallways was like I mean these are the people were were the people were expecting to represent us. Shouting at each other. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. Tough, tough, tough scene. So here we are. Fast forward to night uh, from 1983 to 2022. Uh, and the mayor's position is that it would bring chaos to Chicago if someone other than the mayor uh, would determine who the committee chairs are. Uh, I have many opinions about that. I thought your thoughts on that. Deal with that. The uh, the argument we heard this sort of same sort of argument in opposition to the elected school board initiative. Whenever they're you know like the mayor should be in charge of the school board, otherwise uh, the unions will run it. There'll be chaos. There'll be uh, uh, it won't be a clear cut power of somebody in, who's responsible. Uh, do you buy into that argument that we'll have chaos uh, if? the city council gets to decide that Matt Martin runs the ethics committee as opposed to whoever mayor Lori Lightfoot wants to run that ethics committee. No, because if, if she really believes in that argument, she would have appointed a chair already. The education committee and the ethics committee have both locked a chair for months now. The education committee, first of all, when they did have a chair, uh, met rarely. Um, they met what, like twice a year at one point, I think the BGA found, um, and even then, like, they were meeting to approve appointments. So they weren't really doing anything with that committee. So, you know, I, I hear the mayor in that, you know, if we, we have the mayor for a reason, she should be able to, to make appointments. But if she was really trying to exercise that, she would have done so a long time ago. We have two committees right now that don't have leaders. And so what, what does that mean? That means that uh, ordinances, that means that resolutions that are introduced already are essentially put to a pause because we they can't go through a council because we have no chair. Um, so I, I really don't buy into that argument because if if that was the case, she would have made she would have made her appointment already. Absolutely agree with you. That's a good point. Uh, and uh, yes, if a committee has no chair, there's no one to call a meeting, uh, and uh, so the business of Chicago can't get done. It kind of raises questions. Well, if the committees don't meet, why have the committees anyway? Which <laughs> I, kind of a good question there kelly garcia you know what i'm saying it's like well if you're not gonna meet you don't do anything why do we have you in existence so i kind of part of me buys into that your thoughts about just getting rid of committees all together if you're uh, not going to have any meaningful existence you know i have a lot of thoughts on that um i i struggled for a long time with the education committee because as we know like the the aldermen don't have 
power over Chicago public school specifically, right? And that's usually the top concern for a lot of people is CPS. But they don't have any direct power and say over what happens in CPS. There's no control because they're a sister agency. Um, similarly with CTA, similarly with um, CPD, uh, with police officers or public transportation uh, system. So, you know, I think a lot of the time what our aldermen use committees for is to do hearings, um, to hold these different agencies and departments accountable. And I think that's a valuable source for a lot of the people in the city who don't know how these agencies and departments run. Um, I... So I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know where I lean on that issue, but I do think that we should generally keep committees, especially some of those, uh, those, those crucial ones like the finance committee, education, housing. Do I think that we have too many committees? Yes. Um, so in, in 2019, so you know, before Lightfoot was mayor, the ethics committee didn't exist. It was actually under the rules committee, um, and then Lightfoot pulled it out because, given the current state of affairs in the city and state. Uh, you know, we, we, do, we did need an ethics committee to oversee uh, reform around ethics and conflicts of interest. Um, rumor has it that now with all this push to potentially have Martin uh, appoint himself in the council, appoint their own chairperson, what I'm hearing is that it's possible that Lightfoot could now push the rules, the ethics committee back into rule, back into rules, because she has the power to do that, right? So, um... I, you know, it's it's an interesting question, but I do still think that we, we need committees, but I question um, their regulations and, and the rules that, that govern the committees. I question that a lot. Well, I'm going to throw out a, a, a proposal, an idea, uh, get your reaction to it. <clears throat> so in my humble opinion, and this is just my opinion because I'm not uh, privy to the private conversations of Mayor Lori Lightfoot and her mayoral allies. But in my public, uh, my opinion, I believe that Lori Lightfoot at created new committees, used her power as mayor to create new committees uh, in order to have something of value uh, to offer aldermen in exchange for their support. So, for instance, Michelle Smith was her ally and the older, at the time the older woman of the 43rd Ward. So Lori Lightfoot could say, I'm going to create the ethics committee. I'm going to put you in charge of the ethics committee. There's probably at least one job that you'll get to fill because the budget will allow for some kind of ethics committee aid. Maybe two. I don't know. I don't know what their budget was. Uh, and then you get to, I'll give you the gavel. And every now and then you can have a meeting and you get to hit the gavel. I think a lot of people would give up a lot, Kelly, just to hit that gavel. They love hitting that gavel. You, you tried that punch nine, Eddie Verdoliak and Washington pounding the gavel and it looked that's a power thing so i personally believe which is so bizarre because she was supposed to be let in the light and change the way business was done in chicago no backroom deals no you know no, nothing like the old days and i'm like mm, adding committees and if you're a committee chair you end up pretty much being a lori life for loyalist I'm just kind of adding one to one and getting a two here, Kelly. I'm <laughs> that's kind of my theory of it, which is it's kind of, you know, if that is the case, it, it would fall under the category of unethical. Uh, and it's just so funny that we're dealing with the ethics committee when just the whole creation of the ethics committee would be something the ethics committee would investigate if we really had an ethics committee. Right. What's your take on all that? Um, <clears throat> that reminds me, yeah, I forgot to mention earlier, 
Committees have budgets. They come with their own little six-figure budget. They come with their own staff, and they all get their little salaries. Um, and if you read the Inspector General's report, uh, Joe Ferguson, bless his soul, uh, he released a report last year um, about the essentially like the, the misuse of funds by the committees, right? So what they found, and what I also heard a long time ago, and no one, everyone apparently like knew about this, but no one really cared to dig deeper or like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, it happens so often in city council that people just kind of normalize it at this point. But what I learned is that oftentimes these committee chairs in city council will simply either hire their like ward staff to be on the committee and or vice versa. So the the staff, the people that they hire to run these committees within city council are most of the time just doing work for the older person who's chairing that committee. So they're working for that ward office. Um, what that means is they're probably making more money, right, because they're getting city dollars. Um, they're probably getting more resources too. Um, but they're not necessarily doing any of the work to actually get stuff through the committee. Um, so you're absolutely right in that it's it's definitely a prize, a goodie for the mayor's allies. Um, and, you know, she needs that. Uh, Lightfoot has cornered herself. She has no one right now. I mean, she barely has, uh, you know, supporters in the council right now. So she needs whatever she can to give to, to her loyalists. Um, so I agree that in, in many ways it's, it's um, those committees are taken advantage of by the mayor. Um, and that's, again, why I think we need to better regulate how those committees function. I'm with you. And I've been thinking about something that you said, and it's just uh, the most valuable uh, service the committees form is the, are the hearings. I agree with you. You said that, and you're absolutely correct. It's an opportunity uh, for the public to hear city officials come before a microphone so, and, and just explain the policy. So this happens a lot with police. Uh, David Brown is constantly being called before the Chicago City Council uh, to explain or justify police tactics in the face of crime or uh, police abuse, either one, sometimes both. Uh, so it's a very important public service. But if the chairs of the committees are already biased uh, in favor of the mayor, <laughs> what's, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not going to, like, I can't recall the Chicago City Council's Education Committee having anything remotely resembling a meaningful discussion about the controversial educational policies of any mayor. Rahm Emanuel closing the 50 schools, Mayor Lori Lightfoot at war with the Chicago Teachers Union over hiring more nurses and librarians. You know what I'm saying, Kelly? I, well, hello, Education Committee, Michael Scott, you're going to hold a meeting about this? You know, so... It's one of those things, Kelly, where the principle is right, but the way we practice it in Chicago is so wrong. It's yeah. uh, in in the story I wrote. I interviewed Sophia King, who's running for mayor, um, and she's currently the vice chair of the education committee. Now, you know, you already know in Chicago, you can't believe a lot of these promises that these candidates love to make to people. But she did say that she would love to see actual discussion around appointing committee chairs, which is different from what I've ever heard from other mayoral candidates. Could we have a first mayor of Chicago who actually will allow the councilmen to appoint their own chairs? Who knows? But I thought it was interesting that the vice chair of the education committee said that and, you know, is, is interested in, in pursuing that. So we might see some changes next year. Who knows? I do. I, and I, I don't think the old tradition in Chicago where the mayor is absolutely all powerful works well for us. I just don't think it does. So uh, I'm hoping that we do see this 
uh, this change. All right, let's move on to your uh, excellent story about Paul Vallis, who is running for mayor right now. Uh, in the 1990s, I just like to remind people of this. He was Mayor Daly's revenue department chairs. Uh, I always give him credit for inventing the TIF program in the city of Chicago, uh, whether or that sh he was there when it was invented at the very least. Uh, and he served as uh, the CEO of the board, Chicago Public Schools, again, a mayoral appointee. So uh, those are his political roots in the city of Chicago. Let's not pretend that they're not his political roots. Somehow or other, even though his political roots are in Chicago, he found himself in Naperville. Kelly Garcia broke this story. Kudos to you. Great story. What the hell was Paul Vallis going out to Naperville for? Doesn't <laughs> to talk to uh, this right wing group? Take it away, Kelly. Uh, fill us in on the details. Yeah, first I just want to say I know a lot of like independent media outlets and journalists were reporting on this on Twitter, um, like the Chicago Free Media Collective, I think. Um, so I'll say that. Um, but we did report on that uh, in late July, and basically. Uh, Paul Vallis, as you know, second-time mayoral candidate, ex-CEO of Chicago Public Schools, the first CEO, correct, correct, first CEO of Chicago Public Schools. Um, he was at a fundraiser in Naperville for Awake Illinois, which is this nonprofit uh, organization that's pretty much they they advocate around school choice, um, but a lot of their rhetoric is homophobic. It's transphobic, um, and so you know. From the get-go, I would have a lot of questions about why he was there, right? Um, but fast forward in July, the month after he's at that fundraiser, um, Awake Illinois begins to essentially call its supporters to um, to action against this bakery um, in, in the suburbs who was hosting like a family-friendly drag show. Um, and so because they called attention to it, subsequently the bakery was attacked, was vandalized, um, they had to cancel the, the drag show, um, and I believe they're still, uh, they're still receiving a lot of hate for that event, um, and so, um, you know, put the pieces together, we had to question why Paul Vallis was at an event hosted by an organization that essentially supported or, um, you know, I think would I would argue they incited a, a hate hate crime against this this bakery. Um, Awake Illinois, you know they they were like you know we had nothing to do with the vandalization, the criminalization of this of this bakery. We had nothing to do with the attack on the bakery. But it's like you can look at the tweets that they were you know essentially calling for people to attack this poor bakery. Put the pieces together again. Um, Paul Vallis told us that he was not aware of Awake Illinois' hateful rhetoric. Um, and had he known, he would not have agreed to participate in that fundraiser uh, in the previous month. Um, and yeah, and now the leader of that Awake Illinois, that suburban group, uh, Shannon Adcock, she's a mom from Naperville. She is now running for, oh God, you're going to have to correct me here, the Indian Prairie uh, School Board. It's her second time running. Uh, she ran last year and she lost. So yeah, here we are. Um, I wonder if she'll seek Vallis' endorsement. Um, no, I doubt it now, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, um, I, it's interesting. We wrote in that story, you know, Paul Vallis rubs shoulders with the far right, um, because that's, that's really what we had there. Um, you know, for a long time, I think Paul Vallis has been associated with those far right conservative groups, but that, that fundraiser really put it together for us. So we had to push him a lot. We really had to question him and put him on the record. Why were you there? And, you know, why are you associated with that group? So... Yeah, it was a it was a great story.
It was a great story. And I learned a lesson from that story. Uh, and, and I'll share my lesson that I learned from it about political posturing in the city of Chicago and get your reaction to it. Um, so Paul Vallis went to uh, the Awake rally or meeting, I shouldn't call it a rally, uh, and trashed the Chicago Teachers Union. He, that, he was uh, and, and uh, talked about a uh, call for charter schools. Uh, and said that we really have to let the world know how dangerous the Ch Chicago Teachers Union. I want to point out, uh, Paul Vallis was, is a, uh, an advisor to the Fraternal Order of Police, so he picks and chooses which unions uh, that he likes and dislikes. I'm just pointing that out, Kelly. I must just point that out. Uh, it's an interesting little distinction. Uh, he thinks the Chicago Teachers Union is the uh, enemy of people in the city of Chicago, uh, but he loves the Fraternal Order of Police. And uh, so Paul Vallis uh, made those comments, uh, and then it turned out that this group is connected to uh, uh, really homophobic and transphobic, as you pointed out, rhetoric. Uh, it's an embarrassment, and Paul Vallis had to distance himself from that. And the lesson I took from that is, okay, it's politically incorrect in Chicago to be associated with a group uh, that is, uh, has a phobia against gays or trans people, etc. But it's okay politically, it's politically correct to be in a group that uh, has a phobia against teachers. I'm like, that's an interesting, we're coming to an interesting point in the city of Chicago. That was kind of my takeaway. Like, he was, I didn't see him apologize for the mean, nasty things he said about the Chicago Teachers Union. In fact, I think he's doubling down on it. Uh, I just picking and choosing where you're going to be a quote unquote progressive is an interesting uh, development in the city of Chicago. So Paul Vallis wants to be viewed as quote unquote progressive on some fronts, but he's okay being what regressive uh, on other fronts. I, 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 I'm like struggling with this, trying to understand what it says about Chicago politics. Um, what's your thoughts about all this? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think a lot of politicians, uh, you know, they choose what they, what to say depending on their audience. Um, you know very well that he wouldn't have never been able to say that in Chicago. It was, there is was a specific reason he, he was able to say that in Naperville, of all places. He's not running for mayor of Naperville, correct? He's running for mayor of Chicago. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, in, in his speech at that fundraiser, what I noticed, too, was that at one point, he was urging the group to align itself with, with groups like the police union, the Fraternal Order of Police, or with other conservative groups as well. And you're absolutely right in saying that when he, when he you know, uh, released a statement, uh, he apologized for not knowing about Awake Illinois' rhetoric prior to attending. But he did not apologize for his support of the police union. Um, his support for literally what he said, other conservative groups, um, and for what happened subsequently. He never actually said anything about the, the bakery's attack either. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's just another classic example of, of um, Chicago politicians um, pandering to the, to the audience in front of them. Um, and, that, and to be honest with you, we're going to see a lot more of that, especially as conversations around public safety um, you know, start to start to take the, the front stage as, for the election here um, and other issues that are coming up. 
Um, you know, we're seeing a, a huge shift, a huge wave from the right coming through um, because of backlash from the 2020 George Floyd protests. Like, we're going to see a lot of that backlash, especially from the Safety Act as well. Um, so we're going to see politicians trying to, to balance themselves there um, and trying to lean one way one day and then the next the next day, you know. And so, um, you know, to me, that was just a classic example of, of politi politics, really. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I just want to point out, uh, uh, Kelly made a reference to Shannon Adcock, who uh, is the, the leader of uh, uh, Wake Illinois and uh, running for the school board. Uh, folks want to listen to the interview we did with Asafani Obed, uh, a Naperville mom, uh, mother of four, came on the show. She sort of led the opposition to uh, Shannon's uh, election as uh, on the board in 2000, I forget what year it was, 2000. 21. I've lost track of time, Kelly. So I urge everybody to check out that interview. Asafati Obed is her name. Uh, and uh, she's a Naperville mom, and she's sort of on the front lines of, man, and uh, just standing up uh, to that reactionary uh, wave that's breaking out in the suburbs, trying to take control of school boards. And uh, like, you can't even teach like the, the history of race relations in our country anymore because that's considered too provocative. Uh, all right, uh, let's close it out with a uh, another great story you wrote. And again, I'm a little late to it. Should have had you on this summer. Oh, well. Um, make up for it uh, th with this and then uh, going down the road, Kelly. Um, great st coverage of what's been going on uh, in Douglas Park. I wanted you uh, with Riot Fest. And I'm really glad this issue's uh, coming to the surface, Kelly. I, I took a lot of abuse, I have to tell you this. Because I'm not a concert goer, okay? I don't go to uh, the big outdoor venues. I'm not really into contemporary music. I must confess that. So uh, I take a lot of heat from my, many of my fellow reader writers. Because <laughs> I'd be like, I'm so sick of these concert venues. They take over these parks. And, you know, I, I just want to walk to Union Park, man. And there's a concert there. It's a three-day event. Oh, shut up, man. You know, and uh, uh, they tease me a little bit. A lot of people teach me about that. But uh, I, I was really kind of struck by the response in Douglas Park. I, I felt like I, I wasn't alone, that there were other people out there who thought this is not exactly the best use of a public space. This is a public space where people should be feel free to go play softball, have a picnic, walk in the park, look at the birds, think great thoughts, right? Sit under a tree and write a poem, go jogging. All of a sudden now we have a rock concert. You know, and we do that every year with Lollapalooza. Um, I'm, I've never really been a big fan of Lollapalooza. I got to confess that, Kelly. So I felt all validated. Is that the right word? I'm like, oh, yeah, somebody agrees with me. I'm not alone uh, on this particular issue. And I read your, your stories with great interest. Uh, all right, so explain like the dynamics of the situation at Douglas Park, like who was on which side and what did they sort of represent? Go ahead. For sure. Um, <clears throat> so we did a five-part series um, entitled The Sale of Douglas Park over the summer, covering the long history, but also um, the current uh, events of of residents in Douglas Park and the surrounding neighborhoods fighting against the mega music festivals there. Um, so... I would say, yeah, 2015, so, man, I forgot, like, the exact years, but right before 2015, Riot Fest actually used to take place in Humboldt Park, 
Um, and then it was kicked out by the residents there because the mega music festival there was, you know, damaging the park. It was loud. Um, you know, it was a lot of people were saying that it was encouraging gentrification of the neighborhood as well. Um, <clears throat> so the alderman agrees with the residents. He sides with them and, and he eventually kicks out Riot Fest. Riot Fest begins looking for another home and they find one in Douglas Park. Um, the two aldermen, uh, George Cardenas, uh, the 12th Ward, uh, Little Village side of Douglas Park, and then Michael Scott Jr., former Michael Scott Jr. now, um, he, uh, he oversees like North Lawndale, so he oversees most of the Douglas Park. Both aldermen were pretty welcoming of Riot Fest, um, but residents say that they were not uh, given any opportunity for input. Um, they, you know, essentially say that they lost their public space um, because someone must have been profiting from these mega music festivals. Um, <clears throat> so for the past seven years since 2015, residents from all sides of Douglas Park, from Little Village, North Lawndale, uh, they, they've come together to remove, not just remove the mega music festivals, but to fight for more investment, to fight for a healthier and safer community. Um, and essentially what we were trying to cover this summer is the people behind that fight, the struggle, for that, the struggle behind that movement, um, and we were also trying to look at the money. You know, as investigative journalists, we love to follow the money, so that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to figure out, you know, what what does the community gain from Riot Fest? What does the community gain from these three music festivals now that occupy Douglas Park in the summer? And so we started with a profile of a soccer coach, a youth soccer coach, who essentially lost his park over the summer because the music festivals were taking up so many weekends of the park um, that they just couldn't play at it anymore. And then we did uh, coverage of a, a meeting that was led by Riot Fest, a spokesperson named Scott Fisher, who, to say the least, was very disrespectful. Um, you know, he said some very uh, disturbing things to a lot of the people there. Um, at one point, he suggested that we like learn, I forget, it was like learn perfect English or something like that um, because we couldn't understand what he was saying and he was saying that to an audience of mostly Latino people so just, you know, Im imagine that. Um, <clears throat> and then we did a timeline of all of the, of the long history of organizing against the mega music festivals in Douglas Park um, and then finally we did an investigation into the contracts which showed that in the contracts there were quote-unquote discounts that had been applied to Riot Fest's contract when they first moved in, um, upwards of, you know, $2 million. Um, so that was really alarming as well because, again, the, the main argument for the music festivals in Douglas Park is that they bring money into the community. Um, you know, it's a, a great use of the space, um, but we also found out there were a lot of damage fees as well. Um, and then our last piece of that series was a People's Fest. The, the residents held their own music festival during Riot Fest uh, as a protest against it. Um, but it was a beautiful, uh, it was a beautiful moment. People brought, um, you know, food, fresh produce. There were arts and crafts for kids. Um, there were local vendors. People set up shop. There were live performances from local artists. It was a great time. Um, and, and yeah, and then recently we did a community uh, like a, a listening session with the residents because we really wanted to hear from them directly about how our coverage impacted their work um, or what we might have missed as well. And so that was a really nice conversation uh, between the readers and the reader. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a, you know, it was a uh, 
particularly just for the summer. It was a five-part series, but we do plan on continuing coverage. It wasn't the first time The Reader has covered this issue. We've done that before, but we will continue as well. So what's the future? Uh, will there be Riot Fest back in Douglas Park next year? Good question. So applications for special event uh, permits open up November 4th. So that's when Riot Fest and all the other music festivals will be able to apply for a permit. It's unclear yet whether or not the alderman uh, or the mayor will approve those permits. So both the 12th Ward and the 24th Ward, so the two aldermen who have a stake in Douglas Park, um, those seats are all going to be up for election. Carlinas is going off to the Board of Review. He's most likely going to get elected because he is the party's pick. He won the primary. Um, and then Michael Scott Jr. resigned in June. Uh, the mayor appointed his sister, of course. Um, I believe she's seeking re-election, but you know, that we, we could also see a new alderman there as well. So it will really depend on who takes office in those wards, because they're the ones who give a final say on whether or not these music festivals stay in Douglas Park. Um, but, you know, the residents tell me that their fight, you know, it, it's not over, and they're going to keep fighting hard this next year, and they're going to come back the next summer as well. So who knows? It's up in the air. And obviously, of course, it depends on uh, who is the next mayor. Uh, you know, uh, and there was an interesting little twist. At the end of this year's uh, Lollapalooza Festival, Mayor Lori Lightfoot got on stage and declared, good news, Chicago. Uh, just cut a deal. I think it was a 10-year deal. Don't quote me, Kelly, but I think it was 10 years. Another, it was a, uh, <laughs> I'm like, first of all, why, what? <laughs> Not everybody thinks that's good. I know I'm going to trouble a lot of listeners who love Lollapalooza, but I don't know, man. I, I, that that one issue you raised, uh, it, uh, there's many issues on the table here, but the issue of does the money that comes in uh, equal the money that goes out on these de on these? So the money it costs to uh, set up Riot Fest or Lollapalooza, et cetera, does that uh, equal the money it costs? the public to stage the event and then clean up the park after the event. Uh, and I don't recall ever seeing uh, an accounting independent accountant. Hey, there's something a committee could do if it wasn't controlled by the mayor. Let's tire. You get what I'm right there, Kelly, you, uh, like the ethics committee, if it wasn't controlled by a mayoral appointee might have a say in that. Um, if we truly wanted to bring in the light in Chicago, which I'm not sure we want to bring in the light in Chicago, just it's, it's a nice campaign theme. Um, Kelly, great job on all these stories. And uh, anything you want to say, any uh, folks want to get in touch with you, read many of your articles, tell them uh, what they should do. Yeah, um, I'm everywhere. Follow me on Twitter, uh, Kelly Garcia, 98, I believe. Um, and then, you know, keep up to, to speed with what's happening at the Reader. I think, you know, if you want to email me tips or anything like that, I'm at kgarcia at chicagoreader.com. Um, and we have a few more stories coming out before the end of the year, so uh, keep an eye out for that. But, yeah, other than that, you know, uh, thankful to, to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Ben. That's great, Kelly Garcia. Thank you very much, Kelly. also want to thank DJ Nate, Nate Alvarado. Ex excellent job. Uh, as producer sitting in for Dr. D, who is uh, still taking care of that baby, uh, but who'll be back uh, soon. So, DJ Nate, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>